sound can be just as big an irritant. Now, remind me of your influences here. I'm gonna say Thelonious Monk and the sound a trash compactor makes when you crawl inside it. Earbuds and earworms, and I'm Amy, super hardcore geek girl, Shepherd, and this is Mitchell Manley, a pathetic use of potential. Oh, oh, yours was so much more on point. Well, I, I, I stole that. There's a band that they go by Pup, but P U P, and originally it stood for pathetic use of potential. Oh. And I just thought that was something that kind of embodies part of what I think punk rock is is all about. You know, our theme this week's going to be like your introduction to punk and like. Who were the first bands that brought punk to your attention? But part of that punk aesthetic is that I have tons of potential, but I don't have to use it for your gain. You know, I'll, <laughs> I'll use it for what I want. I don't know. It always makes me think of that House MD episode where there was like that punk rock guy played by Jeremy Ritter. Oh, wow. And, yeah. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. Like that's one of my favorite episodes. And so every single time I think about punk, I think about that. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like, he's this really good musician. And then he just decides to make punk music. Right. And there, I guess like the, the theme was like, punk music isn't good, but that's not really no, the punk point. Music rules. Yeah. So I think that was the one wrong thing in House because House MD is completely accurate in every other way. Sure. <laughs> but. I know that you know lots more about punk. I know a good deal about punk. Um, you know, I I I got into punk listening to like Blink One Eighty Two and that sort of stuff. But you know, I had some good influences here and there, and learned what real punk was eventually. <laughs> so you're one of those kids that was part of one of those like goofy memes that like evolved past the memes. Yeah, exactly. At one point, I would have been pretty memeable uh-huh. as far as like listening to to pop punk and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm, I was a smart boy. I, I figured it out. I got on the internet. <laughs> so what was your introduction to punk? All right. So uh, I'm going to, I brought some 41s over my head. A lot of my first introductions to punk were actually listed in the thread by the Ear Buddies, bands like Green Day and The Offspring and Rancid. But in middle school and early high school, I was all about that pop punk, you know, Blink-182, Newfound Glory, and Sum 41. And of those bands that you might call <laughs> pop punk, I feel like I could most readily defend Sum 41 as like being a quality <laughs> band. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I'd still listen to old Blink-182 shamelessly, but I probably couldn't defend it as, as good punk music. But I think Sum 41, I could actually make a case for, uh, you know, to the punk purists that they're actually a, a, a legit punk band. 
Uh, they have plenty of songs that are poppy and fit perfectly alongside the Blink-182s, but they also have lots of heavier, grittier influences that show up on their records, uh, especially this album. It's called Does This Look Infected? <laughs> um, they have a very thrashy, hardcore parts. You know, it's like fun skate punk parts, and then like the straightforward, pissed off at the world, fist-pumping punk. You know, I totally get why people might pass right by them. Uh, and our more serious biz here buddies might kind of balk at my defending <laughs> them, but uh, I genuinely think that they took a lot of disparate elements that grew out of those punk seeds and melded them into something unique yet familiar, mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot to be said about doing that well. Yeah, um, I I remember some 41 from high school. I definitely had... I know a boyfriend who absolutely loves Sum 41. So I feel like now, like, my, my selection's not going to make sense because I realize I knew Blink-182 and Sum 41 sure. and Offspring from, like, my brother and from the ex-boyfriend and probably from hanging around y'all. And let's just face it, I did pick up the bass at one point. Right, yeah. <laughs> and so... You just decided to really subvert it. We'll go there. <laughs> yes. But I, um... I definitely remember this band. I don't remember this song. Like, I don't remember this version of Sum 41. I yeah. do remember the catchier things. I was much more of a top 40 person. So this was really cool to, like, kind of, like, peek at what the stuff I wasn't listening to sounds like. And it's very fist-pumpy and punky. And I don't think it's, like, the tropish um, house MD kind of punk. <laughs> right. <laughs> so... I I thought that was like a really interesting perspective. I think you defended it well. Thank you very much, Amy. Now, I'm not good at knowing what the genre of punk or post-punk or pop-punk or skate-punk or thrash-punk or anything is. So I decided to bring something that in a flight of fancy I thought was punk. And that's a shoe-shoes homunculus. Oh, if I'm like a wish heard that you left him hidden in me just for a second oh if I it's dumb I'm to say bad at like identifying what punk is and I wanted to go to music that definitely like opened up my mind to different types of music that may not be the most pleasant sounding things because I was all about that MTV TRL Mm -hmm. and I wore eyeliner uh, when I started working at the movie theater and somebody handed me a burned shushu album called Knife Play and so I kind of look like an emo kid and they're like wait hold on yeah. I got some stuff for you. And it like kind of blew my mind. I, oh, yeah. Shoe Shoe's an awesome band. Yes. So I I wanted to go back to that moment when I was hanging out with this like really tall dude named Brandon who gave me this album and like we were hanging out in my minivan yeah. and listening to this like album, which was absolutely amazing. I wouldn't call any of it pleasant. Uh, but if I'm thinking about my concept of what punk is, which is, you know, messing with 
the messing with the tropes of what popular music is. Right. I thought this would be it. And also Wikipedia said it was post-punk. Yeah, makes plenty of sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I love Shoe Shoe, and they are so weird, and no one else is anything like them. <laughs> and, you know, we can joke about it, but I, I actually do love that, that, you, uh, that you picked this song for your pick. Um, you know, before I came to record, I was talking to my buddy Alyssa about the distinction between punk and punk rock. So that is like punk as an aesthetic and as mm-hmm. an ideal as opposed to punk rock, which happens to be what, you know, the manifestation of the punk ideals that most people think of. Like that anarchy type of stuff. Right, yeah. But something need not be punk rock to still be considered <laughs> punk. So I actually appreciate that you brought something like this to the table so I can make that point, you know. Yay. The example that I used uh, with her was the band Low. We've talked about them a few times. I think I brought a song on one of the shows. Mm-hmm. They're a very minimalist band, especially in their early years. But when they came around, everybody was playing faster and louder. And they decided that the most punk thing that they could do is go the opposite way. Be like quieter, slower, more subtle, and more introspective. And I I think that was punk as fuck. Yeah, it really... I guess that's kind of where I was coming with from this one. I was like, it's like when you're doing something so completely different. Yeah, it subverts the norm in a, yeah. in a cool way. I will say that both Dakota and Ella said, this isn't fun. Why are you making oh, us man. listen to this? And I was like. They also do really great remixes. If you see uh, a Shoo Shoo remix of anything, like, it's going to be amazing. I have an EP downstairs, which has a remix on yeah. it. And I have, uh, they did a, um. A cover, this is where, it, like, it's a Joy Division cover called Ceremony, and that's actually the first version of that song I listened to, yeah. was a shoo-shoo one. <laughs> so, eh, I really like them, but that's that's my thing. So, uh, Ear Buddies brought a ton of selections, which- As they always do. They always do, and they t- brought a ton of the ones that I was like, oh, wait, uh, oh, dang. Yeah, it was, it's very diverse <laughs> picks uh, this week, which- is kind of what I loved about having the more general theme of punk and like what your first influence is of what is punk, you know, this thing called punk, what is that to me? So Yeah. Now the first selection is by Jerry mm-hmm. and he brought the Dead Kennedys police truck. version of surfer rock going on yeah it's got the super reverb guitars Mm -hmm. and little surfy riff yeah and the vocal quality is legit punk like it's definitely a punk vocal vibe if that makes sense (laughs) um i'm also probably going to ask multiple times with each of these selections sure is this british or american yeah so this is definitely an american band that explains the kennedys right yeah they are from san francisco i believe (gasps) So I nailed the surfer rock thing? Yeah, definitely. I'm learning. And uh, 
you know, Jello Biafra, who's the singer for the Dead Kennedys, you know, he gets compared to uh, the guy from the B-52s sometimes because oh. they both do the weird the- tremolo vibrato thing and it's like a very snarky sounding mm-hmm. voice. I can hear that. And yeah, you know, B-52s had some surfery songs as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love the Dead Kennedys and they're one of the first like real punk bands that I got into. Uh, <laughs> I remember this song was on the very first Tony Hawk Pro Skater game. And uh, that 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 soundtrack had tons of great punk and ska jams. It had like the Vandals and Goldfinger, Suicide Machines. I just remember like skanking <laughs> in my room, like letting the music play when I'd take a break from playing. Oh my god! Wait, I'm I'm just imagining this like oh yeah, Mitchell a little chubby faced, round headed Mitchell with the short yep. the short curly hair. Yep. Aww. Oh, I was precious for sure. That sounds adorable. Just sitting and, and and playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater in my room. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just like. Sit and dance around to them. Uh, they're known to be a very political band, and their singer Jello Biafra is incredibly smart and well-read. So their lyrics brought attention to like the terrible, terrible political co- climate in America, and like the war crimes and atrocities that we were perpetrating around the world. Wait, what? What year was it? Um, over the course of several years, I know they they talk about. Um, I believe they came out in the late 70s, early 80s. Okay, I had to figure out which exactly which war we were in. Yeah, they have a song about some of the bombings that took place in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the like uh, bombings that took place in Cambodia during that time. Like mm-hmm. strategic, yeah. killing innocent people for strategic purposes, essentially. Yeah. And, uh, you know, tons of other craziness. Very political band. And so I think that in doing that, they they not only subvert the idea that punk is like reckless music for idiots, but it also like inspired and empowered a lot of otherwise like lost and out of place kids to inform themselves and to form their own like political punk bands. And, you know, I'd say that the emphasis that punk had on political commentary probably heavily informed how politics actually played out in America and around the world is like the punk meme kind of went around the world essentially yeah like i'm thinking about it you know a lot of uh you know what london is kind of like the home place of punk right or yeah, it's our, one of them right it's one of the, and a lot of that was based in the politics of um thatcher right, right? yeah exactly okay hey I, I learned something it just took me a bit um so yeah i kind of like that there's that concept of the politics going into the punk like bucking the system and maybe change what seems to be that endless drive forward into war and right, all yeah. that stuff. Christy brings a totally different vibe, but not too totally different. I don't know. We'll get into it. She brought Operation Ivy's Smiling. I now have questions about the intertwining of ska and punk. 
I'm pretty sure they have to be related. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, you know, it's saying like smiling when, uh, when your friends are watching. I believe everybody's felt that. I did not get catch all the lyrics. And sometimes these things are hard to find on Genius. Um, you got to love like the theme of punk songs always being super short and super like. Yeah, that's true. Fast. And um, I have another question. Mm-hmm. Do any 20 minute punk ska bands exist? I'm trying to I don't, I'm trying to think of the most epic. I'm sure that there's some epic ska songs. <laughs> I think most punk probably tops out at about three minutes. Usually, it's but I would imagine that there's some ska band who decided to be smart asses. Progressive ska band, dude. Prog ska. <laughs> I, w- I want to make a prog ska band, and then I want to go play on Craig's front yard. <gasps> Craig would love hate that so much. I know that'd be amazing. That'd be so awesome. I need that to happen. I'll try to learn like rhythm for that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm super glad Operation Ivy made the list. I've got so many great memories of of just belting this band at the top of my lungs from the ages of like 15 to 18. Uh, they definitely veer into the sky side of things, uh, but still maintain a firm foothold in the more pure punk scene. And they're not quite as political in tone as the Dead Kennedys, but Op Ivy sang about the struggles and difficulties of modern living, about socioeconomic struggle and songs about depression and kind of trying to find your place in the world while remaining true to yourself and living authentically. But then they also had like uplifting songs about being with your friends and how listening to music makes us feel better. And, you know, some of our ear buddies will know that the guitarist from Operation Ivy, Tim Armstrong, went on to form Rancid. That's the uh, that's a definite punk band. Yeah, and Rancid was also on the thread. I think Frank posted some Rancid, who's a fantastic band. And, um, yeah, a lot of people won't know that the singer from Operation Ivy, whose name was Jesse Michaels, he also had a great band after Operation Ivy. They were called Common Rider, and they, they were much more political. They drew a lot of influence from uh, reggae and got a lot more of the sky side of things, but without uh, overwhelming horns and, you know. That well, sort of thing. They were just more of the dub reggae side of things, but still with that kind of foothold in punk as well. I was Common trying Rider. to. I was trying to find the trumpets in this. Yeah. Like, I, I I would listen to it first, and I was like, "Oh, is this got trumpets in?" I was like, "No way, that's definitely not got trumpets in it at all." But yeah, I I like that. Like how that totally goes into punk, though. Yeah, absolutely. Ah. I had no idea. Now, Craig brings... This is, like, great that these two are, like, right next to each other. Right. Um, Craig brings probably one of the first, very first punk bands I can remember. Uh, Green Day's Longview. Fill me up this Velcro seat and get me moving. I sure as hell can't do it by myself. I'm feeling like a dog in here.
going to post the Ramones, but someone beat me. So I was going to post the Offspring and got beat to that. So I guess this would be the next on the list. Oh, my God. Going back to that high school boyfriend, he was obsessed with Green Day, and Craig beat me to it. So it was a theme. Uh, The bass always makes me smile because there's just this very specific Green Day quality with that bass that is just, it's infectious. I mean, that's why they have, like, a freaking Broadway show. Yeah, for sure. So... I always thought this song was like super naughty and I'd blush because I used to be like a super goody two shoes until like I just stopped being a goody right. two shoes. Gave and up on that. Yeah. I mean, granted, I think that your buddies have commentary on my goody two shoesness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we'll get to that yeah, later. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, the prompt for this week's show was your introduction to punk. And for me, Green Day and Dookie is absolutely that introduction for me, honestly. I remember seeing the video for Basket Case when I was super young, like I was probably seven or eight. And then finding out that my older brother had that album laying around, so I stole it and just wore it the hell out on my CD player. I'm starting to really feel bad for your older brother, who oh, seemed yeah. to have st- stolen a lot of music. Yeah, though. he didn't appreciate it as much as I did. That's, <laughs> it's it's so true. Like He just got them because they were popular ah. records on MTV. Yeah, uh, The other time I mentioned this was for Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Yeah, yeah I stole that straight <laughs> up from my older brother. Um, and yeah, I even, there's a hidden track on this album and actually coincidentally also a hidden track on that Atlantis <laughs> Morissette record, uh, that I discovered before my brother even knew that they had those secret tracks on there. Was it like 20 tracks of nothing? It's like 20, off? 20 minutes of nothing after the mm-hmm. last, after the last song. Yeah. 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 I just did that too. So yeah, so many great songs on Dookie and, uh, it definitely had a huge influence on what I came to love about punk, especially my appreciation for pop punk. The really creative bass lines, the vocal deliveries, like really snotty and snarky. The drumming's really powerful and driving, like lots of really cool fills. And uh, of course, the vocal harmonies. Green Day always has some of the best vocal harmonies. This album has so many great vocal harmonies all throughout it. And that probably had a huge effect on my love for harmonies later on. Yeah, and plus, it's just, it's like a warm, squishy feeling when you listen to Green Day. Dookie. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> not, I mean, not that kind of warm squishy. <laughs> not, yeah, I different kind of warm squishy. Didn't but. mean to make that pun. Oops. <laughs> Timothy brought DRI's five-year plan. said i had just interviewed a dude for the school newspaper who'd been hit by a car while skateboarding the interview went well and he made a suggestion for the the music article his punk band called targets of society i explained rather snobbishly that i only listened to goth rock he nodded and not missing a beat then you're used to folks playing badly he lent me about a dozen cds to this day i thank that dude for calling me out (laughs) i feel like this is like metal versus punk 
and that's probably because I'm not very good at defining either. Uh, this really makes me question what I call punk. The like the guitars are definitely like metally, and like so are the drums, but the vocals are very punkish, and there's like some parts in it that like veer super to the punk side of what my version of it is. Um, the there's this trope that you're supposed to have that five year plan whenever mm-hmm. you go into an interview that. Um, you know, has to do with your career, but they're using it as like this revenge plan. Yeah. <laughs> and I really loved that they're just kind of saying, well, this is my five year plan and I'm not going to go with your career version of adulting. So, yeah, it's uh, that's pretty that's pretty punk, actually. Yeah, I'm into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is definitely another great example of the diversity of music that sprouted from like the punk ideals and aesthetics. Uh, DRI or what it, what would now be called crossover thrash. Okay. And uh, this album was actually called Crossover and kind of coined that term and characterized that style of like faster, heavier, hardcore punk where they're taking lots of pages from the punk rock manifesto, but also incorporating the heaviness of like metal music into their guitar tones and their playing styles. So like whereas your street, your standard like street punk band can be pretty in your face. Hardcore punk just like gets its friends and gangs up on you and beats <laughs> you down in the parking lot if you talk shit. Yeah, I you think know, they so, would. Yeah, bands like DRI and I know Agnostic Front is another band that got posted and is a great example of this. They like really take the the pissed off and angry element of punk and escalate it into aggression, not just like airing your grievances, but like getting in your face and threatening to do something about it. You know? But in a very vague way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah in the song in particular. <laughs> you're just gonna. You're part of my five year plan of revenge. Right. So. Metal Johnny. My man. He brought the cutest band name. It's Pagan Baby's Dirty Knees. These dudes, as far back as I remember, were one of the first punk bands I got into. Uh, it's quick, dirty, not quite sure what the lyrics are. Like, I really tried multiple times. Um, and it has some opinions. I know that there's opinions going on. <laughs> punk music is usually pretty opinionated. <laughs> yes. And so I know there's some opinions going on. I'm just not quite sure what they are. I'm pretty sure about something about bowing down with knees. I don't know. Um, I just... I kept searching for the lyrics, and I typed Pagan Babies into multiple things, and I couldn't find the lyrics, but every single time I typed Pagan Babies, it made me smile. That's (laughs) that's precious. It's so cute. But this song is kind of like... Precious little Pagan Babies. (laughs) I know. They're so cute. Um, This song is like a boxing like with one of those body gloves that's what i like got from this song it's like a punching bag yeah it's a punching bag it's a little bacon baby punching bag. 
okay. yeah, you can you can always count on Metal Johnny to bring the heat. Uh, I had never heard of Pagan Babies, but they seem to be a pretty definitive example of punk just as it began to transition into hardcore. There were babies. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so when when folks started making punk and being harder and faster, the obvious evolution of that ideal is for someone to come along and want to be even heavier and even faster and even more pissed off. And that led into hardcore punk. And the cool thing about hardcore is it has its own like deep wormhole of subgenres and styles of hardcore. There was like a cluster of bands out of New York that started sharing a certain sensibility, and then bands from DC were their own unique brand of hardcore. And Would then, that be like Fugazi? Yeah, exactly. Yes! Yeah, all the Ian Mackay, Fugazi, and and all that sort of stuff. Minor Threat. Yeah. And then across the country, you got bands in California that are taking that same end. Uh, to be harder and heavier and faster and more pissed off, but going a slightly different route up the mountain than the rest, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Pagan Babies is from Pennsylvania, and I know our ear buddy Matt Strickland has a pretty encyclopedic knowledge of hardcore and is also from Pennsylvania. So I'm hoping he might enlighten us on uh, where Pagan Babies kind of fits into those disparate scenes of hardcore and how all those bands trace their roots back to the punk of the late 70s. It all kind of comes out of that same, uh, those same seeds. I know, but you just keep saying Pagan Babies. Pagan Babies. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm sorry. I think Courtney Love was also in a band called Pagan Babies at one point, if I recall. I feel like these folks had the name first, though. Yeah, certainly did. Now, we have one last Ear Buddy selection, and it's Buster from Risky Whispers. Uh, Nirvana's Turnaround. I guess Nirvana, probably. And before anyone roasts me, go listen to Incesticide. What the hell is that shit? Uh, this was, it's definitely Nirvana. You hear, like, the baby version. I'm going to just keep saying baby now. The uh, little pagan version. Little, little pagan, pagan baby, baby version of, of, of Kurt Nirvana. Cobain. Yeah. So I like it when I hear something that is from a well-known band that has not been played a billion times. And then somebody has told me, like, Nobody has mansplained yeah. every single song about it uh, to me. And, you know, there's a lot of spoken wordiness that I don't remember being in the Nirvana songs that are well-trod and well-known. And it's super clever and somewhat dirty sounding, but without that fully formed sound that we all became familiar with. Like, mm-hmm. you can hear the beginnings of Nirvana, but it's still, it's not that what became the radio right yeah (laughs) Yeah. these like grunge super super gods yes 
Yeah, this is definitely this is an especially fa- fantastic choice for illustrating the progression of punk through the decades. This is actually a cover of a Devo song I had from no 1980. Idea. Yeah, and Devo themselves were doing the punk thing in their own way and in a way that pretty much no one else has been able to emulate since them. And like you know, the majority of punk bands were using heavy guitars and drums to push the envelope. But Devo took the punk ideals and just got really weird and experimental with it. They utilized synths and weird effects, and their lyrical tone was much more heady and like masked in sarcasm and wit rather than like screaming in your face. Mm-hmm. So Devo in their own right are such a weird and unique version of what punk can be. And then Nirvana kind of reaches back for that version of punk that's like so far removed and distant from the punk of 1992 when they did this cover. And then they just run that old program through their new and improved grungy punk rock filters. And you get this cool glimpse of what like Devo might have been had they chosen to just stick to the loud guitars and drums instead of going nuts. <laughs> and uh, another cool tidbit about this song is that it, it was recorded for the John Peel radio program on BBC Radio. Okay, so I know we've spoken about yeah, this definitely. before. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, John Peel uh, was a British radio DJ on BBC Radio. And he came to fame for bringing just like the best and most unique bands to a studio in London to perform live on a show. And if you go through the list of people who've been on his show and, and recorded what they'll call the Peel Sessions, <laughs> uh, it's just filled with the best of the best and like influential bands of all kinds of genres. Um, so it's really cool that, you know, inadvertently we got to feature a Peel Sessions track. Yeah. So I can brag about John Peel, who I love so much. But it's not the first time we've done a Peel Sessions track. Yeah, I can't remember what the other one that we did was or if I even brought it. But I, I definitely remember. remember I brought up John Peel at one point. He's yeah. definitely a hero of mine. Now, I just think it's really cool. Like, everything's starting to connect. I, maybe I'm going to become, like, a music nerd. We'll see what we'll see if you if you uh, <laughs> if you make the grades. Yes. Well, I'm gonna give you your your punk rock exam after we okay. hit end on recording. We'll see what happens. But is it multiple choice? It's not. It's essays. <laughs> oh no. We um we did get we didn't get like traditional feedback, but the page this week under last <laughs> we had week's some episode was hilarious because Will stated. Amy, you're such a square. Now, that means so much. So I'm like, okay, I know I confuse NWA with um, New Order right. constantly. And so I was like, well, is it because of that? And then it's my quote about <laughs> smoking pot and doing kush. Oh, yeah, doing kush. <laughs> I did a kush. <laughs> I didn't realize that. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's like hilarious it is true that like yes i love songs about drugs but i don't know anything. right i'm like the middle-aged momish type of drugs right i don't know anything and then i think i told will like i hear that amy once injected a whole marijuana which is now my official like <laughs> that's your tagline yes it's like, my tagline i once injected a, a whole, whole marijuana. marijuana so i <laughs> seriously there's no better advertisement to join the facebook uh group than that whole interaction which was hilarious yeah we like to goof yes we do like to goof and that is the earbuds and earworms podcast group on facebook where it's hilarious because sometimes craig gets angry oh god it's so good when craig gets angry and just there's so much interaction especially when people start talking about the different songs and i just i love the interaction it's great it makes me want to turn my notifications back on because i actually found myself just like that's yeah. what everybody's talking about. What's coming up this week? Um, Twitter. Uh, the show is at Pod. I'm at Pow I Gotcha. And I'm at Madam Woolite. You can always call the voicemail line at 
731-400-BUDS or 731-400-2837. And you can always email the show at endpod at gmail.com. And you can find the show on the interwebs at endpod.com, part of the 10710 Network. What's our final song? All right, so I'm going to close us out with a song from the Buzzcocks <laughs> called Ever Fallen in Love with Someone You Shouldn't Have. Uh, I definitely wanted to close this out on something classic, but also something that embodies my my favorite kind of punk, which you might have guessed is the popular, catchier stuff. You like poppy stuff? Yeah, you you wouldn't be able to guess, huh? I know. Uh, this song is definitely a perfect example of that sweet spot between punk rock and power pop. And it's not really exactly what you'd call pop punk, but yeah, that intro riff, just so damn catchy. I wish I could find more bands that emulate those like super jangly, poppy guitar leads over punk riffs. I feel like our ear buddy Jeremy Scott could probably uh, be my go-to for that. So Jeremy, send me some more stuff that sounds like this song. And uh, yeah, Buzzcocks, Ever Fallen in Love. Dig it. Pink and baby punching Aww. back.